I came here, I uh, decided, because, you know, I had to kill a little bit of time, half hour or whatever. So I was like, fuck it, I'll get lunch. I got uh, Raisin Cane's. Oh, uh, you know. Duh, yeah, I mean, of course you did. Yeah, because it was there. But uh, I, since, you know, I couldn't eat inside, I pulled into the parking lot across the street. And <laughs> while I'm sitting there, I like, I'm watching all these, like, Can- Canada gooses, if you. Canadian geese. Have you ever watched Letter Kenny? I guess not, because you would have gotten the reference. Nope. Okay, never mind. But yeah, they're just sitting over here chilling in the parking lot, just minding their own business. And like I'm watching them like do their thing in the grass, do the fucking goose shit, the be little bastards. And <laughs> then I see them like start just walking across the road, and there's just one that just stood in the middle of the fucking road while traffic's coming fucking towards him both ways, and he's just looking at him. And all of a sudden, he just kind of waddles his little ass in the fucking one lane. Cars just stopping, honking, he's just looking at him like, yeah, fuck you, I'll do what I want. Did he honk back? There was one time that he raised his fucking wings and hissed at him and just fucking waddled his way back. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, god damn, it's just the fucking goose's world, we're just living in it. <laughs> oh, fucking bastards. Have you ever been chased by a goose? Yeah, It's I have. fucking frightening. Yeah, uh, Tanner, he had some geese. When oh, they, really? When they lived around here, yeah. And I, I, they would come after me and some would get at my, like, snip at my legs and I... <laughs> Anybody out there that has a goose, I'm sorry, but no, I've, I've hit him back. I've hit, I've hit him back. I've got them by the neck and I've thrown them off. I, I can't deal with with geese. I fucking hate them. I loathe them. We used to have them at uh, my last job, and we tried, you know, calling people to come and take care of them. They're like, oh, we can't do anything about them because they're endangered. I'm like, how the fuck are Canadian gooses? Fucking, I don't going to keep saying it like that because it bothers you. <laughs> um, I'm like, how the fuck are these fuckers endangered? Like they're fucking everywhere. They are everywhere. And if you if you don't find the geese, well, the goose no, himself, the sorry. poops everywhere. Not not endangered, but a protected species. Sorry, got that wrong. But yeah, their shit is like grease. It's fucking gross. It is gross. We watch them chase customers, and that's why we were like, we need to get these fuckers out of here. Watching my boss chase these like fucking geese around our parking lot with a shopping cart, trying Ooh. to get them around, was fucking hilarious. Where was he planning on them to go? I don't fucking know. And then there was a nest of them that, uh, in like one of our little flower pots. And then one day we came in and there was just uh, feathers everywhere. So, uh, oh. pretty sure a coyote got them. But oh, Jesus, okay. Well, I'm just saying. But just a ima- <laughs> I don't know why. I just got like since you know our topic for today is fucking John Carpenter's Halloween, which if you guys can't read, ha, learn to read. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> stop, t- stop, stop listening right now. Get off Spotify, get off Apple Podcasts, get off whatever you listen to, and learn, learn to read. read. <laughs> Rosetta Stone, it'll help. <laughs> but I was just imagining, like, just imagine, like, a goose, the fucking Michael Myers mask, just chasing you. Ugh. <laughs> How fucking terrifying that would be. You know, uh, even behind the mask, I would still know it's a goose. <laughs> I don't think I'd be that terrified. I'd still try and kick its ass. Do goose, geese do nothing for this world. They literally just suck. Yeah, they're vile little creatures. I hate them. Ah, uh, yeah, I'm not a fan either. One of my past accounts at work that I would uh I would service, there was there was like literally nobody there. It was like one security guard, and <laughs> was he, it a goose? No, but oh. he would be bored out of his mind, and he would just kind of follow me around and just talk to me, which I really didn't mind. It's company, sure. Yeah. Um, but there were geese all over the parking lot of this place. They were on the roof. They were in the back near the dumpsters. They were in a little pond right in front of the actual building. Of course, that's why they were there. I was just like. You have a lot of fucking geese around. Like, for being in this area, out of all my accounts, there's a lot of geese here. And he goes, dude, you should see this circus when it's, like, 
I don't know, goose season, if you will. He's like, there have been so many geese that have been on top of this building. And when somebody walks in, they will just fly down and attack them. <laughs> they, literally, they literally like like lit the screeching, honk, and then they just, like like a warning, and then they just zoom off of this building in like a beeline just right for somebody. Jesus. So he's like, people will, will run outside. With their like, you know, their, like little briefcases above their head, trying to get to their <laughs> four pickup, while there's a goose just flying after them. Yeah, I remember um, in my last job. This will be the last goose story, and I promise we'll actually get to the episode. But it's all relevant to our lives, so uh, get over it. Uh, they need to be eradicated off the face <laughs> of this planet, unless you're playing Untitled Goose Game. But uh, that's the only time a goose is okay. Yeah, that game's fun as fuck. Um, but um, at my last job, because like. Our roof, there wasn't like a whole lot to it. It was just, you know, standard kind of warehouse roof. Yeah. Yeah. If, um, like, I don't know if you're aware, but like when goose, like, goddamn, now I'm like stuck saying it, but like when geese land, they kind of have like a little run that they do, like after they land. So, like, literally, yeah, all that momentum. Yeah. All that fat little momentum. But like, we were literally like in the building and it sounded like people were like running across the roof. So we're like, what the fuck is that? So, my manager walks up the fucking ladder to the rooftop and he almost gets attacked by a fucking goose. <laughs> uh, that same account that I was just talking about, the gentleman there, he he'll uh he'll hear like he'll hear them going nuts sometimes. And he told me he's gone out into the parking lot and he's seen like two of them who he assumes are like mates and they're just kind of hanging out doing their thing. <laughs> and then one just comes out of nowhere. And then, of course, the male, assuming it's the male, turns around and starts fucking honking. <laughs> and then so the, 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 the new guy, he starts honking. And then the, the, the girl starts honking. And they all start honking at each other. And then their wings start raising. And they get real close to each other. And they start, like, just jumping around. <laughs> they just start, like, jumping around like they're having a party. But you know they're trying to, like, antagonize and just, you know, provoke the other. Oh, and then Jesus. they'll just separate and leave. Even the, the original male and female that were next to each other, they'll just all separate and leave. I'm, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? It's like some goose call. Like they're there for some <laughs> sermon. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know. <sighs> all praise the goose gods. No, fuck them all. Even the gods. <laughs> I don't care if there's elder gods. I don't care if Lovecraft made his own goose god. Fuck them all. They're you, all worthless. Can you imagine like a Cthulhu goose god, but instead of tentacles, it was just goosenecks? Absolutely not. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just blew your mind. No. Anyway. Yeah, anyway. Welcome to the first episode of The Dissector's Cut. Oh, oh, oh my God. It's only been in the works for like how long? <laughs> uh, Like two months. Oh, that's it. Kind of. I oh. mean, since we went. Oh. Uh, oh. Since we acknowledged that on our other mm-hmm. podcast. But it's something that you and I have wanted to do for a long time. And yes. who am who am you and I? That's a weird fucking sentence to say. <laughs> like Shakespearean or something? <laughs> my name's Josh, and across from me is my co-host, Matthew. That's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. Yeah, so uh, the Dissector's Cut, little, give you guys a little breakdown about what this podcast is about. It's about breakdowns. Oh, but nice. not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, a little, little crab core. Um yeah, no. So essentially, this podcast is going to be about breaking down everything from Benjamin. <laughs> <laughs> a joke that 
maybe some listener out there driving in their Hyundai got. I, yeah, I'm not gonna lie. It at first went completely over my head. Then it fucking like came back and smacked me in oh, the back of my head. Came back I, like a boomerang. Yeah, I was like, oh okay, and I do get it. But because in my head, I was just like all about the Benjamins. Why? I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> but no. So we're gonna be talking about movies a lot. A lot of it's going to be horror movies on this podcast, because uh-huh. that's what me and Matt are big fans of, especially me, uh-huh. and I am filled with a lot of useless movie knowledge that at least I find it interesting. I don't know if people find it interesting. Yeah, but... I don't think people would care to hear me rant uh, for two hours about Princess Diaries, so I think it's probably better we're doing this type <laughs> of movie. Yeah, probably. Genre. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, we will be branching off into some video games eventually. Maybe some other stuff. We don't know. This is kind of an early development of our podcast, uh, but I know it's mostly going to be movie-based. Yep. Um, we Pretty much what I like to do when I do these uh, um, write-ups, I like kind of trying to find as much detail on the movies, like how they got made, pre-production, production, um, stuff about the casts, weird background stuff that happened during the movie, little behind-the-scenes facts and all that. I, I use everything from the commentary from the movies, uh, interviews with the cast and crew, websites that have done deep dives on uh, movies already, or, you know, and anything that I can find that I just find interesting about movies. Yeah, it sounds like you take on uh, quite the, the workload, I would say, there. I do, and it kind of gives me an excuse, because if I do really like a movie, I tend to listen to the uh, director and crew commentary occasionally yeah um, and this just gives me more of a reason to actually do it because now i can be like oh i'm doing it for work <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you want to call this work sure is it work though if we love it do we love mm, it that's a good call this is kind of, <laughs> almost well it's a hobby yeah 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 i would say it. yeah that works but yeah i mean i do have a pretty massive movie collection because i like physical media because i'm a fucking loser I wouldn't call you a loser. I don't know. I know some people are like, oh, well, physical media, it's just taking up space. But I'm like, I like looking over my shelf and going, look at all the movies I have taking up my space. God, I'm going to see you on a future episode of Hoarders. <laughs> it's just going to be a bunch of stacks of movies, DVDs and Blu-rays. Mm-hmm. No, I'm organized with my movies. They're all alphabetized. Because if not- Damn. Yeah. I actually have an app on my phone that helps me keep them organized. Oh, and, well, I can't. Well, apl- I can't applaud you that much if you well, have help. Well, between that and it helps me, like in case, like I'm like out looking at movies and I'm like, do I have that movie? I can't remember. I can just scroll through my app and check it out. It's actually really nice. Yeah, there's an app like that for books. Yep. Yep. I'll use I use that. I think it's the uh, actual, probably by the same creators because they have one for like video games and all that stuff too. Well, I'll be damned. Yeah. So the app is made by Sorted Apps, and pretty much actually really nice because you can use um your phone camera to scan the barcodes oh that's nice and you can actually do like a bulk scan so like a lot of times when i do it i'll wait until like i get like a decent amount of movies and then i'll just sit there and bulk scan it all together and then i'll just throw them onto my shelf yeah i mean that's what i would do yeah it's really nice i mean i've used it for everything from the movies to games since i have a decent amount of games too and then books once i start getting more books in my library as well that's what i'm working on books library i can see that looking at your uh my 10 books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to start building my own library. I'm going to have one of those, uh, what are they called? I don't know, but like the ladders that have like the wheels on them and they go all the way around the room. You're going to have that with the library and I'm just going to have that with uh, movies. Yeah. That'd be cool. Ooh, that's a, mm, I like it. So before we get into this, Matt, what made you want to do a movie podcast with me? 
Um, because hmm. this is like kind of like I mean, it's this podcast is essentially my baby, but it was kind of a brainchild of yours. You held me down and forced me to. Don't tell everybody. No, I um, I don't know. Through times of the the other podcast, the farthest reaches, which check that out if you're into ooky spooky stuff that isn't necessarily movies, but just you know. Strange tales and whatnot. Yeah, if you're a fan of like the paranormal, cryptids, haunted places, stuff like that. Yeah, uh, but between that and just you know hanging out time from time, and you with your trivial mind with movies and, and just you know cinema, the silver screen in general, um, a lot of it I found fascinating. Like I didn't think about it too much. I was never into deleted scenes or behind the scenes, you know, special features in movies. I didn't really care for that too much. I guess I'm just not invested into cinemas, some other people like yourself. But um, no, it's interesting knowing some of the things that go on behind the scenes. That I, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. Really, it's just it's it's fascinating. So to sit here and learn with the audience, I think is kind of cool, kind of fun. Um, but yeah, I mean that's I don't know, that's what I kind of think about movies, really. Okay, um, and it's funny you talk about like the behind the scenes and not really caring about it. I don't know why, but like when I was younger and would start like when I would watch movies, I would just be fascinated with like the behind the scenes aspect. I don't know if it's just like my like lifelong like admiration to like eventually do like anything behind the scenes. Cause like obviously I do a lot of prop work and stuff for like cosplay and stuff like that. And like I would love to do like just like, um, and the like just work in the prop department for like movies and stuff. And I yeah. love seeing movies that actually make real shit for their movies instead of CGI. Not saying all CGI is bad, but most of it is. Yeah, I would say my appreciation for it just kind of developed over the years because I never, I, I literally just never thought about it. Yeah. I really never took a second glance at it, but then when I find out the hours it takes to, you know, to put some costume on or um, some of our other episodes that we'll be releasing about the Blader Witch and whatnot, I'm like, you know what? That's actually pretty cool that that happened. Oh, yeah. Like, it gives you so much more, um, like, you admire it more than anything mm -hmm. just because, like, you're like, wow, a lot of passion actually went into this because, you know, it, it's super easy to watch a movie and just go, wow, that movie fucking sucked. Yep. But then you could, like, start kind of taking, taking it apart and, you know, taking off the fucking first layer that you're, the layer that you're seeing. And at least admiring that people actually put passion into it. Obviously, there are some movies that are literally just made for money. Yep. Uh, Fox's uh, last Fantastic Four movie, I'm looking at you. The movie was fucking awful. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they literally just made it so they could keep the rights. Yeah, that was that was horrible. Yeah, but um, but yeah. I mean, that's kind of one of the reasons why I thought like an, a podcast like this would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I think it'd be interesting for uh, people to learn about this stuff. No, yeah. no, we won't necessarily break down the movie, but we will let you know what happens. Well, we'll let you know what happened in some of the creation and um, like the PR. Yeah, the like PR the, for it. There are certain scenes that we will break down. Like if there's like a special thing that happened in certain movies, like oh, this was done because you know they had this person there. Like this inspired this because there is like in this episode for Halloween, there's actually a couple of little tidbits that I thought were really really cool, especially for. Uh, uh, horror fans in general, because there is a special person that shows up before he became like well known in the horror community that I thought was really cool. In this movie, uh, well, he worked on the set for oh, okay. a day. Okay, didn't show up in the movies, but I thought it was really cool. Yeah, I mean, I it kind of goes without saying at this point. I 
don't really know too much of, uh, you know, directors and producers and such like that. So I'm kind of here just along for the ride. When it comes to producers, I don't know shit, but directors I do know a lot about just because, like, I tend to follow a lot of certain directors' works. Oh, yeah. Just because, like, I'll find a movie that I really enjoy and, like, I'll look on, like, IMDb just to see, like, what other movies the director's done. And then I'm like, okay, if I can find it, like, on a streaming service or, like, if I can find it cheaply, like, to buy, I'll, like, check it out. Because nine times out of ten, if I enjoy, direct like, one of a director's movies, I'll enjoy the rest of them. Or at least a couple of them or a handful of them. Because, obviously, you have directors like fucking George Miller who makes Mad Max and then makes fucking uh, Happy Feet. (laughs) Yeah, see, I, I didn't know any of that. Yep. And I've seen Happy Feet. Yeah. I've never seen Mad Max. You've never seen any of them? Well, I think I've seen the older one, but I was fucking 10 at the time. God, you need to watch Fury Road. That's literally one of my all-time favorite movies. Wow. All right. All right. Yeah. And I, that is another movie that I want to do a breakdown on. And I'm sure we will. Um, But then, you know, another random, because I know, have you seen Joker? With Hawkeen Phoenix? Yep. Yep. Did you know, just kind of show you like directors that have huge range? That movie was uh, Todd Phillips, the director, also made The Hangover. Oh, wow. Yeah. Just the first Hangover or the whole series? I think he made... I'm not 100% sure if he like directed the uh, the sequels, but I, like, if anything, he was probably the producer. I think he may have directed the second one. I'm not sure about the third one, because I never saw the third one. Oh, well. Uh-huh. But um, I know that it was made by the same director, which it still blows my mind. I, yeah, I like the first one. Oh, the first Hangover is great. The um, the the second one, the third one, I kind of nah, yeah, parted ways with. All right, so you know, I think we've done enough talking and bantering and kind of given a little bit of background about ourselves. I guess let's just dive into John Carpenter's Halloween. Let's do it. God, I just I'm sorry. Like anytime, like when I was. Uh, typing out like doing all my research and writing out the outline for this movie I had like the entire soundtrack from like the first two or three movies playing like on a playlist so it's just like playing in the background as I'm typing away it's just I don't know something about it like it helps put you in the mood I will say I think it's pretty cool that that little song it's pretty badass that it's in five four in music yeah. in musicians' terms because it's yeah. not it's not See, your standard four four. It, your three, yeah, four. this is where it comes in handy for you because I me I'm musically inclined. <laughs> I'm just yeah. I, I, when I was rewatching it last night to just kind of brief up on the whole thing, I was kind of like, oh my god, that's in five four. You I never you never see that shit. No, and that's why like um I feel like it's kind of iconic, like in that sense, and and it's just fucking eerie as shit. It is. It this movie is um one of your um oh my god like your your the the gold like a gold viewing of how cheap you can do a movie mm-hmm. and it still works. And it all, this is also one of those movies where the soundtrack shows just how much it can make. Yeah, how movie. how cheap and simple. Yeah. You can go with this movie cuz it it had been a while since I'd watched it but when I just rewatched it I was like, "Wow, this movie is kind of good but really sucks." Yeah, and, like, when you compare it to a lot of the movies today, it's definitely rough. But, like, at the time, God, it was phenomenal. I don't know. I feel like even at the time, I was just like, this is the way they went. Man, I have some things wrong with this movie. I mean, I guess you can look at them as wrong or right, depending on who you are. But I'll get into that a little bit later. It's nothing too, like, yeah, 
tremendous. It's just kind of like little nitpicks I have, and you're like, why the fuck they do this? It's just it's funny too. Like when you think about movies like this, and it's it's the same with the the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Because like you think of these movies and you know the earlier slasher films, and you're just like, wow, those movies like in your memory, you're like, wow, those movies are super violent and all this, and then you watch it and you're like. There's not a whole lot of violence actually shown on screen. Like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, there's no blood in it. And when you think Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you're like fucking just bloody, gory. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. The first movie, there's like I don't I think there might be like one scene of gore. Really? Like of course there is the imagery of like all the like the bones and you see somebody get picked up and put on a meat hook. Hell but yeah. You don't see like, you know, blood and guts. Oh. I never thought about it that way, honestly. Because, yeah, that brings up a point. In Halloween, you only see just a couple. I mean, there's more than a couple killings in the movie, yeah. but you only see a couple. Yeah. I think, like, initially, there's you see blood on the knife at the beginning when he kills his sister. And then there's, like, a little bit of blood when he first goes to stab uh, Laurie. Lord, yeah. Yeah. So, let's get into this. Do it, 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 do it. October of 1978, a film by, at the time, unknown indie director John Carpenter would come stabbing its way off of the screen and into the heart of horror fans everywhere. Yeah, I like how you did that, stabbing. Yeah, yeah you yeah. see what I did? Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Little did he know that decades later, this slasher classic would still captivate audiences everywhere. With its iconic score and immediately recognizable villain, John Carpenter's Halloween would pave the way for a new generation of horror icons. Yeah, they... Uh... That movie started right off with it, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I did like that. There was no real weight to it. It was just like, boom, there he is. Yeah, and, and I mean, I love that, like, it opens up in, like, first person in a way, and you're just like, whoa, what the fuck? This is weird. Yeah, it is. Halloween would inspire long-running franchise remakes, reboots, video games, and even books. Halloween is widely recognized as the start of the slasher genre, even though films like Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho in 1960, Bob Clark's Black Christmas, and Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, both releasing in 1974, had already frightened audiences. Ooh. So, like, in kind of history, like, I think it's more so looked at from, um, I think they call it, oh, fuck, I forget why exactly they look at it as, like, the start of it, but I think it's just because, you know, movies like Friday the 13th and A Nightmare on Elm Street, when you watch them, you can tell that they definitely took more from, like, Halloween like, for inspiration, then say, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Black Christmas. Oh, okay. okay. Which, Black Christmas is easily one of the more underrated slasher films. Don't watch the remake. The remakes suck. But watch the 74 one. And another director, mostly because I forgot about this, and I, I think I mentioned it later, but Bob Clark, you know, makes a slasher film. But he's pretty much well-known for uh, probably one of the most well-known Christmas movies of all fucking time. Can you guess? Um, uh, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. No. Okay. Uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Okay. No. Is it a serious movie? No, it's more of a comedy. It's one Christmas of the- Story. Yep. Uh, for some reason, it just <laughs> it just hit me. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Okay, so okay. you know, he does Black Christmas and then a Christmas Story. So he has two very different ideas on Christmas. Apparently, yeah. It's one of those tidbits that I thought was really, really interesting when I came across it because I kind of totally forgot about that. Mm. I'm just like, wow, what the fuck, Bob Clark? (laughs) So to give a brief recap of the film, on Halloween night, 
1963, 15-year-old Judith Myers would be stabbed to death by her six-year-old brother, Michael Myers. Titties. You do see titties. Titties. And I will say, I forget the play. Titties. I forget the uh, Playboy model, but it is an actual Playboy model that uh, p- plays Judith Myers. Oh, really, really, really? Yep, I forget her name. <laughs> For some reason, I didn't like put it down because I didn't think it was like important. But now I'm like, fuck, I probably should have. But oh well. Huh. Need to go find that centerfold. After being institutionalized for 15 years, Michael Myers escapes on the eve of Halloween in '78. Oh, look at that! How spooky! It's setting it up for a movie. The worst is feared by a psychiatrist, Doctor Loomis, afraid of what will happen on Halloween in the town of Haddonfield. He was one of the better characters of that movie. Oh god, or, I, I, one of one of the better actors. Oh for well, that movie. I mean. In hindsight, he was definitely the more uh, seasoned actors because, like, at the time, most of the people in Halloween really weren't known actors. Like, they had been in a couple films here and there. Like, PJ Souls had been in uh, Carrie. And, uh, but this was like, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis's first film. Well, she had done a couple like TV shows, but this was like her first film. Yeah, she was like 19 at the time or something. Oh, yeah. Like 20. Out of- yeah, out of everybody that was in that movie that was supposed to be, like, actual uh, teenagers, she was the only one still in high school. Damn. You know, Michael Myers comes to Haddonfield and pretty much harasses and stalks Laurie Strode and her friends as they babysit and just try to have a peaceful Halloween night. What the hell is this thing with babysitters? I don't know. Why, why babysitters? I mean, I guess at the time, it was kind of like a shtick just because a lot of teenagers did babysit. So it was kind of like one of those things that, you know, couldn't like instill fear just because like, huh, it could happen to you. Because realistically, well, I say realistically in the first two Halloweens, because once you get into like Halloween four and five, it starts getting real weird and culty. But the first two Halloweens are probably like as far as slashes go, probably the one of like two of the more realistic, like it could happen, like, you know, a escaped psychopath fucking just stalks people and kills them. Yeah, I mean, okay. In a mask, like that's super plausible. Yeah, I'll say uh while me and my wife were watching this movie, without a doubt, we side with the killer because we're like, wow, these teenage girls need to die. Like we can't, we can't have we can't have them around anymore. I'm sorry, but the the acting of this <laughs> of those teenage girls are ridiculous. The acting in the 70s, it was so much more uh like exaggerated. Like, if you watch almost any movie from the 70s, it's very uh, embellished. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to put it lightly, yeah, you can say that. That's why, like, Loomis, I thought, was one of the better ones. Because he didn't seem so just, oh, <laughs> yeah, the whole time. Oh, God, yeah. Like, the girls. I'm just, yeah, me and my wife looked at each other and were like, you know, he's he's kind of doing justice. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how I feel like when I watch Friday the 13th, too. I'm like, wow, you people are having sex? No, die. Needs to be in those movies, man. Sex is crucial. It is. And another thing about that: why in this movie? I swear to God, why is no woman? Well, excuse me, woman wearing a bra? Uh, it was the seventies, dude. People just went fucking braless all the time. I guess they had to portray that on the silver screen. I guess so. I guess so. I mean, realistically, I mean, if we want to talk about it, a lot of this. I mean, I explain it later, but a lot of the movies' wardrobe. Was the actors closed? So they probably just didn't wear bras. They didn't have it in the budget. Nope. No bras in the budget. Nope. Because <laughs> they'd have to get so many different sizes. Probably. They're like, sorry, girls. Yeah, I don't They're know. They're just going to have to go to the top lesson. Yeah, I don't know. I wasn't born in the 70s, so uh, yeah, I don't know. No? No. Oh. 
I, My bad. Surprisingly. <laughs> so stupid. I know. I look old, but even though you're older than me. That's true. <laughs> While Halloween ended up being the baby of Carpenter and his then-girlfriend and producer, Deborah Hill, it was actually the brainchild of independent film producer Erwin Yoblins and financier Mustafa Akkad, who after viewing Carpenter's second full-length film, Assault on Precinct, Precinct 13, wanted him to help create a horror film. They had in mind of making a film that would have it the same impact as The Exorcist did on the horror genre. I kind of think they nailed it as far as like iconic movies go. Yeah, I would say. Just the mask. Oh, God, yeah, that mask. I mean, they took something so cheap and made it just fucking iconic. Carpenter agreed, but only if he had full creative control on the project. He was paid $10,000 for his work, which included writing, directing, and he even made the score. A man of many talents. Oh, God, absolutely. I mean, I did find out that something I didn't know, and I, I mentioned it later, but John Carpenter was in a band for a while. Really? Yep. Before working on the script, Carpenter had a conversation with Black Christmas's director, Bob Clark, who is probably better known, as I said before, for directing the iconic holiday film, A Christmas Story. Them damn dogs. <laughs> God. <laughs> it's one of those movies that you fucking see all the fucking time, but when it's on, you kind of have to watch it. I remember the first time where, uh, I forget what happened, but they were changing the tire, and he's like, oh, fudge. <laughs> and then the narrator's like, only I didn't say fudge. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, dad, what do you say? It's one of the. It's it's kind of like in the realm of like the holiday films that you at least have to watch once a year, kind of like Hocus Pocus. There's always a channel that plays it 24 seven. Yep. I don't remember what channel it is. It could be Hallmark. It could TLC. I don't know. There's always a channel that plays it 24 seven. Carpenter asked Clark if he had plans on creating a sequel to a 74 slasher. Did he? Did he? To which Clark said no. Oh fuck. So Carpenter then asked if he had any ideas what he would do to create one. Did he? Did he, did he say? I'm getting to it, little Billy. I'm getting to it. <laughs> Bob Clark's idea helped shape Halloween. Carpenter was also inspired by a kid he met while visiting a mental institution in college, saying that this kid, he had the darkest, most evil stare he'd ever seen. This kid is fucked. Which inspired, you know, Loomis's fucking famous line where he's talking to the sheriff and talks about seeing, you know, this kid had the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. Yeah, as soon as he said blackest eyes, I was like, ooh, black-eyed child, or yeah, black-eyed children. I was like, ooh. Which uh, we also did an episode on on our other podcast, The Farthest Reaches. Go ooh. check it out, go check it out. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. In, in, but in all hindsight, just the idea of like black eyed children still fucking terrifies me. Yeah, whether it's just a little child or it's uh I don't know, I guess a grown man behind a white mask. Yeah, like honestly, if I looked out this window right now and there's a little fucking black eyed children, actually honestly, if I looked out this window and there's any kind of child, I'd be yeah, a little that's terrified. That's what I was just gonna say. But <laughs> Yeah, that yeah. But it'd be <sighs> even worse if it had black eyes. If anything black eye had black eyes, it'd be worse. And I don't mean like black eyes from domestic violence. I mean like <laughs> Whole black, actual eyes. <laughs> like, no what, irises. What if it was just coal eyes, and then you walked outside, and it was just a snowman? Would you feel stupid? I would, and I'd be like, who the fuck spiked my coffee? I would, I'd, I'd beat the shit out of that snowman. And then my neighbors came out, looking at each other, I'd be like, you're fucking next! <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden, they're snowmen? <laughs> yeah, and then all of a sudden, I'm in the newspaper, and then someone makes a movie about me. Man, that sounds like a fucking Twilight Zone episode. I don't know. I mean, it's not, but... I, I haven't watched all 38,000 episodes of Twilight Zone. So I, w I wouldn't know. So when it came to time to writing the script, Carpenter teamed up with Deborah Hill. 
It took them roughly 10 days to write the screenplay, with Hill writing much of the female dialogue since she had been a babysitter during her teenage years. And maybe well, she's a woman? That too. And Carpenter focused mostly on Dr. Loomis's speech, speeches, which are some of the most iconic lines in the movie. Just 10 days. Yeah, that's pretty impressive for a screenplay. That's like uh, the creators of South Park. It take like a week to get their episodes out, oh, like God. the week prior. Yeah, it's fucking insane. Yeah. So the original draft was titled The Babysitter Murders and it was to take place over several days, which was changed to just take place over two days, mostly to save money on filming with fewer costume changes and less locations to have to shoot at. It was Joblins who suggested to take place on Halloween night and to be called Halloween, to which obviously Carpenter agreed. Because oh. Or else the movie wouldn't be called Halloween. Okay, but they, they did take the... Like, it was intentional to make it the babysitter killer. Yes. Like you just said. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I didn't know if that was intentional or not. Yep. Yeah, like, it, originally, like I said, it was supposed to be called the babysitter killers. And they were just like, why don't we just dedicate it to a holiday? I, I guess they're like, green light, let's go. I mean, it works. It really does. Yeah. The background of Michael Myers came to Carpenter when he got to the thinking about how many small towns have a haunted house story. That teenagers like to dare friends to go to. I Every mean, single town ever? Oh, yeah. I mean, there was one like a block away from me when I was growing up that like it was just creepy and decrepit. And like there was never like any like kind of like story dedicated to it. But it, I was always like, man, if any house is haunted in my neighborhood, it's that fucking one. Yep. But now they renovated it and it's actually a really nice looking house. Oh, huh. well, how about that? You know, and these are always the houses that people like to make up stories that like, oh, you know, people were murdered or somebody went crazy in this house. A dragon lives in the basement and he hoards treasure. And if you think about it, this is pretty much exactly what happened to the Myers house. A dragon? Yes. Ooh. They actually had a dragon in the basement. That scene just got cut. Uh, oh, damn it. See, now if I would have watched the original and watched the deleted scenes, I would have seen that. Yeah. Damn it. Would have changed the whole fucking movie. It would have. It's like the Munster's house where they have that fucking like giant beast under the stairwell. It yeah, it'd make it so much better at the very end. All of a sudden the whole house started shaking and then like the floor fell through and there was just a gigantic dragon hoarding whoring treasure. Carpenter has also stated that he wanted Myers to be a villain that no way the audience could relate to. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sorry, Mr. Carpenter, you have apparently failed at your job. Uh, yeah. And honestly, like, this whole, like, um, not, like, Michael Myers not really having kind of a background and, like, you not knowing why he decided to just kill his sister, that was the one thing that, like, I always thought was frightening about Michael Myers. And honestly, that was my biggest issue with Rob Zombie's Halloween because he decided to give, you know, Michael Myers, like, this... Because you see teenage Michael Myers growing up, and he has, like, a very abusive family with an abusive father. And I'm just like, I don't want to have sympathy for this character. I was like, I don't want to—I don't—I like not knowing why. So, like, I mean, I just didn't really like Rob Zombie's Halloween. So he fleshed out, like, his background. Yeah. Like his history. Yeah, because it was it was the uh, uh, remake, essentially. So he kind of had the liberty to do whatever. Yeah. And I understand, like, I, I do think if you do a remake of any kind of movie— Instead of trying to make it like um, an exact copy, just you know your version, change it up, make it your own. But, yeah, I mean at least here and there, sp yeah. sprinkle your ideas throughout. Well, but with icon iconic characters like that, I just I, I don't know. I just it didn't feel right with me. And Carpenter has also stated that he wanted to make Myers, you know, seem like a very terrifying character. That's why. He oh, he is terrifying in all the Austin Power movies. <laughs> 
Yeah, very. <laughs> yeah, baby. Mm, Shagadelic. Apparently, he is very unhappy that there is a killer with his name, even though at this time, nobody knew who the fuck that Mike Myers was. Yeah, he can't so. hold a stable relationship, poor guy. <laughs> but to show that Myers, like Michael Myers, was a huge, um, you know, threat. That's why they included the scene where he kills the uh, Wallace's dog. That was the absolute worst part. One cool thing I did, uh, I found, not saying that dog killing is cool, but how they achieved that mm-hmm. scene. They had a dog on set, and the uh, trainer actually played the part of Michael in that movie, in, their, in that scene. So he picks up the dog, and to make it look like, you know, the dog's like kind of going limp, they filmed it. And uh, in post, they slowed it down because the trainer just literally picks up the dog, holds him for a few seconds, and then just puts him down regularly. But when they slowed down the scene, that what that's what makes it look like the dog's like going limp. Okay, so this is literally simultaneously the worst but yet coolest part you just said. So no one wants to see an animal die. No, especially a dog. Oh God, no. But then you tell us the background of you know, what happened yep. and how they achieved it and who was involved. And it's, that's, that's fascinating. That's so cool. It's so simple yet so effective. Yeah. And it made I mean, it makes some scenes like that just make more sense in a way. But yeah. It was like one of those, like when I came across that, I was like, I have to include this because it just, it felt important. Well, you know what doesn't make sense to me is the part where Lori and Annie are in the car and they're driving and they're, you know, got, they have a blunt and all of a sudden, I forget where they're going, but she goes, oh, shit, my dad. And they're trying to hide the blunt. And then she pulls over to uh, the Halloween store, so where Michael got his his knives and such. Yeah. And they're just like, what's going on? Nothing, dad. Just stop bothering us. And he's like, okay. And then they just leave. And I'm like, are you telling me those two bitches never had to stop to begin with? They could have literally just drove on by. Yeah. There's no reason for them to stop. They didn't get anything. They're just saying hi, basically, and leaving. Well... If yeah, God, Matt, if that scene didn't happen, we wouldn't have known that Matt, if Matt, that Michael broke into the store to get his knives and his stuff, man. I get that. God, I come get on. But that. in all the reality, yeah, it is a, it is one of those very just like story-driven scenes mm-hmm. that make no sense. But in hindsight, it does make sense to be there. But like when you kind of st- take a step back and go, huh? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Another thing that bothers me. But yet, it's kind of funny. Why the fuck are you pointing at me? I felt threatened. It's Stop. more. It's more effective this way. Okay, <laughs> you're you're at attention when I do that. You're like, oh god, oh, he's got to be saying something important. The next time you point at me, I'm gonna scream. <laughs> there you go. I farted too. <laughs> cool, killing two birds with one stone there. Uh, but no, another thing that makes me like, what the fuck is the sheriff? I forget his fucking name. I know his real name's uh, something Cyphers, Charles Cyphers, but in the movie, Sheriff Brackett. Sheriff Brackett. Yep. Okay. Anyway, my ordeal with him is if people watch the movie and they pay attention when there is another character and then the sheriff, no, like, comes into the scene, he always does it in a weird way. Like, he always does it in a just abrupt, like, hi, here I am. When she's walking, uh, Lori. Oh, when she's first yeah. Walking, and she's, like, looking behind her and all of a sudden, like, a hand touches her or, like, bumps into the sheriff and she's all like, oh, fuck. And he's like, hey, what's going on? Everybody's entitled to one good scare. Well, then later, um, Loomis is like looking at the house or so, like through the bushes, though. And all of a sudden, he just appears again. 
the sheriff. And Loomis is like, oh, fuck. And Loomis is like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, this motherfucker needs to stop. Part of me wonders if, like, I don't know, like, because obviously, like, they kind of already established the villain originally, but I kind of wonder if they try to, like, play it as, like, kind of a red herring to, like, make people think, like, oh, I wonder if he's actually the killer. The sheriff? Yeah. Man, when he's first talking to Lori, he is creepy. Oh, yeah, he he's is. He's sitting there and he's smiling. And, and then it turns no out to brawl. be, like, one of her friend's dads. And just like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, yeah, when that happened, I was like, oh, well, this guy kind of doesn't play any importance anymore to me. But no. no, he just shows up any chance he gets. I think there's even another scene with Loomis. He's walking. I think he found uh, his car that had been stolen yeah. by Michael. And he's, I don't know where he's going. I forget where Loomis is going. But he sneaks up, quote unquote, sneaks up in his sheriff car. Yeah. In his cop car. I, and I, Loomis I, is like, oh my God, hey, he went over there. And then yeah. he just drives off. I like, love that scene just because the sheriff just like, he pulls up and, you know, Loomis talks about like, I found the car over here. I think he might be over there. And the sheriff's just like, oh, okay. And it just takes off. I'm like, God damn. Like, you just taking orders from this guy? Yeah. <laughs> Loomis runs the town, apparently. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess if you're the psychiatrist of a serial killer and you're just chasing him. Well, yeah, but everybody else in the movie's like, yeah, sure, Loomis. Do, nice try. I do love the scene where Loomis is, like, staking out the house and the kids are on the porch and he's fucking, like, fucking with them from the bush. Oh, yeah. What's he say? Like, I'm going to beat your ass or something? Yeah. There's something like, get away from the house or some shit. I just swear like, he says ass. He might. I actually can't remember, but. But, yeah. And the kids, of course, they don't second guess it. They're like, <laughs> and they run away. I'm like, wow. The bush talked. I'm just like, that, that cop, I don't know. Something's weird about him. If it was a burning bush, it'd be Jesus. Is that what happened in the Bible? I don't fucking know. Who talked to the burning bush? Please read. <laughs> I don't know the Bible. I don't either. I know it's a bestseller. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's in every hotel room. That's gross. Yeah, think about that. And yet, no one steals it. They only steal the towels and the little soaps. I just move the Bible into like obscure places. Usually ends up in the... Uh, Out the window. No, I usually put it in the uh, shade of like the lamps. Don't ask why. Okay. All right. <laughs> I saw it on your face. Don't ask. I, I was literally forming that W like, ooh, and you're just like, no. I don't know why. I just do it to fuck with people. Okay. Okay. Fair. So many of the film's names came from Hill and Carpenter's backgrounds and upbringings. For instance, the name of the fictional town Haddonfield, Illinois, was taken from the town Hill was raised in, Haddonfield, New Jersey. Okay. Okay. You know, it's a lot easier to establish fictional towns and try to like be like, oh, it's set in this realistic town. Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess. Maybe if you're a dummy. I mean, why couldn't they just, you know, make up a... I can make up a town. Mm, Fort Cock. Is that where your, your movie's going to take place? It is. Yeah. Fort Cock in Penis Land. Character names were also taken... Seaman Village. See? I'm fleshing out. <laughs> I'm fleshlighting out an entire town. Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. Anyway, back to the a important ser- shit. A serial killer of male genitalia. That sounds like a really bad porn parody. Character names also were taken from people from their past and also homages to movies like Rear Window, where Tommy Doyle got his name, along with Laurie Strode supposedly sharing the name of Carpenter's first girlfriend. Huh. Yeah, I don't know, like, I don't know if that's really, like, a good thing or a bad thing that, like, he's like, I'm going to use the name of my first girlfriend to play the character that gets stalked and almost killed a lot. I'm like, hmm, that's a little weird. I mean, it's a great name, but a little weird. The Celtic tradition of Samhain helped with the creation of the story with the ideas that evil can't be killed. Which, I mean, if you look at how many times Michael Myers gets stabbed and shot and stabbed again and 
shot and stabbed again. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's another thing I have. The near the end when Loomis shoots him, and he literally falls out backwards mm. over the balcony, lands in the yard, and it goes back to Loomis, and he fires another shot. Mm-hmm. Somebody explain that to me. He's still in the bedroom, and he's like, <laughs> click. I'm like, motherfucker, what do you shoot another shot for? I, I honestly think he did that just like out of uh, fear. I don't know. Because I like when I went back to watch it, I had the same thought. I was like, did you... Like, what were you going to do? Just randomly fire and just look like a goddamn raging lunatic? Like, that, that was the beginning of curving the bullet. He was trying <laughs> that right there. He was going to show off to uh, Angelina Jolie and Wanted. Who might not have even been born yet. I don't know how old she is. I don't know either. Now I'm thinking about that. It's it's always okay to think about Angelina Jolie and how she's doing. Her well-being, you know? So as I said, the idea that evil can't be killed, no matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, evil can't be stopped, and it will continue to wreak havoc on the innocents. Ooh. Michael Myers does. Yeah, he does. So speaking of innocence, there's always... Angelina was three at the time. Really? Yeah, she was three. She was born in 1975. God damn. Well, all right. Interesting. Huh. I'm <laughs> kind of blown away by that. I didn't realize she was that old. Not that it's saying that that's old. Just saying I didn't realize she was that old. She's only 5'7". I feel like in every movie you watch, she's always like six and a half feet tall. Movie magic. Just like on Halloween. Movie magic. So, speaking of innocent, there's always that trope in horror that people who have sex all die. Titties. And all the blondes that trip. Yep. Yep, you know, people that have sex all die while the virgin lives. Carpenter Hill, Carpenter and Hill didn't do this on purpose. They explained that in their story, the ones that died were also preoccupied with partying and getting laid, that they became extremely oblivious to the crazy killer around them. While Lori, who spends most of the time, you know, alone and with, you know, babysitting kids, she's got way more time to be, like, super focused on everything going around her. Yeah, so it yeah. kind of makes sense. She's not slurping and glurping, man. No. Nope. Hell yeah. But, Abstinence and chastity belts, man. Those are keys. Okay, people? So when you look at the cast in the film now... It's filled with some pretty recognizable faces, though at the time, wasn't the case. Now well-known horror actress PJ Souls was cast in the role of Lori's friend Linda Vanderklok. Jesus, is that the one that had the guy over? Yeah, she was the partier. Okay. Titties! Carpenter stated he wrote Linda's character for Souls in Mind after being a fan of her supporting role in Carrie. Mm-mm. When she plays like one of the uh, bully's like, best friends in that movie. Ah, Okay. Lori's other friend, Annie Brackett, was played by Nancy Loomis, who had appeared in Assault on Precinct 13. Nancy had also been dating the film's art director at the time, Tommy Lee Wallace, who actually went on to direct Halloween 3 later on in the series. Mm, that's how she got that job, just saying. I also like that, um, you know, her last name's Loomis. I mean, Dr. Loomis. Well, I like Vandercock. What have you said? Vanderclock? Vanderclock, yeah. Uh, and it's like one of those names that it's split up into three words. So it's like not all put together. Oh. So like Van Der Clock. Oh, kind of yeah. like uh, James Vanderbeek. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. Um, I did find it kind of funny. I was. Um, I found a little article talking about the timeline that this movie is supposed to take place. Because, you know, they give you the date and the year. Somebody looked it up because, you know, in the movie she's talking about like, oh, you know, there's the football game and the dance is coming up. The movie takes place on a Wednesday, and people are like, yeah, no school has a dance on a Wednesday. <laughs> I was like, well, all right, I guess. Yeah, I saw um, 
in one scene, like their lockers were outside. And I, and I didn't think about anything. Like they were coming at the screen and they had some lockers along the outside of the school yeah. wall. And I'm, I didn't think anything of it. I'm just watching the movie, being a good boy. And my wife's like, why in the fuck are there lockers outside? A Could you of, imagine that in the winter? That would be fucking freezing. And I'm like, well, well. <laughs> a lot of schools in like nicer like environments like California and Florida. Like Haddonfield, Illinois. Well, it is funny. Um, Better be. The, well, the film was shot in California. So it makes sense mm. for there to be lockers outside. But yeah, obviously it's in Illinois. So yeah, it would kind of suck. Ah, uh, God, my mind just turned to goop. Haddonfield, Illinois. Haddonfield, California. Shot in California. Really in Illinois. Haddonfield was in New Jersey. Fuck it all. That's why there are actually a couple scenes like at the very beginning where like if you pay attention, you can see palm trees. Oh, I never. Even, oh, okay. Yeah, I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about now. Yeah, I didn't think about it at that. And at like first. when you're first watching, you're like, oh, okay, you don't think about it. But then when you think about Illinois, you're like, wait, wait a second. There's no fucking palm trees in Illinois. They lied to me. <laughs> now, when it came to casting the role of Dr. Sam Loomis, to honestly, I think is probably like as you stated, one of the more like memorable and iconic members of the film. Oh no, Lindsay, dude, the girl that Annie takes care of. Lindsay, oh. she was the greatest character in the whole movie. Actually, a little fun tidbit about her: the actress that played Lindsay. Yeah, um, she's actually going to be reprising the role, apparently, according to IMDb. I haven't really looked a whole lot into this in the uh, sequel to 2018, uh, Halloween. No shit. Yep. So she's going to be playing an adult Lindsay. Whoa, that's cool as fuck. Yeah, I thought that was really neat. See, like I said, best character. So like I said, when it came to casting Dr. Sam Loomis, John Carpenter wanted an English-born actor because he wanted to kind of give a little bit of pizzazz. Variety. Yeah, essentially. Originally, he had asked Peter Cushing to play the role. Cushing had just come off playing Grand Moff Tarkin in Star Wars. Cushing, however, is a legend when it comes to horror, especially when you think back in like the 60s and 70s during the heyday of Hammer Films. I mean, he's played in everything with, like, Christopher Lee, with, like, Dracula, Van Helsing. Like, he played, like, Van Helsing in a couple of Hammer Films and all that. He's a pretty iconic star when it comes to, like, the older horror films in those days. Cushing, however, turned down the role due to the, to its low pay. And, I mean, fuck, you just came off Star Wars. So he's like, fuck you. Yeah. I, I was one of the people that helped build the Death Star. You know what I mean? Fuck. <laughs> Think I'm going to be in this low-budget horror film? Shh, get out of here. So next, Carpenter approached Christopher Lee, who also was coming off a long run of great films with Hammer Films. During the 60s and 70s, though, most moviegoers would know him as Saruman in Lord of the Rings. Yep, or Count Dooku. Yeah, Count Dooku, and he is probably, he's one of the greatest Draculas, too. Oh, that's true, and if anyone out there uh, loves the power metal band Rhapsody, which is now Rhapsody of Fire, he was a narrator on... uh, one or two of their albums. Really? Yeah, he actually like narrated, like you know, the song would go, and it would have like a, a a sustain, and he'd be like, "Over the distant lands." I'm like, "Son of a bitch!" And there's a music video. I think it's the Wizard's Last Rhyme. Oh no, it's the uh, 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 Magic of the Wizard's Dream. Yeah, that's it. There's like an orchestra, and uh, Fabio Leone is singing, which is at the time the singer of Rhapsody, and. Uh, Christopher Lee's right there, and they're both singing this song. Well, that's fucking cool as it, shit. I it didn't is know that. Fucking cool. I, like I knew Christopher Lee was a metal fan because he did. He did like a couple Christmas albums. He was, yeah, that he's, were he was in his hilarious. own band. I yeah, think, yeah. Um, you know, if we want to just talk about horror icons and bands really quick, um, um, did you know you know Cradle of Filth, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Doug Bradley, who plays Pinhead in the Hellraiser series, 
he does the intro to uh, Her Ghost in the Fog. Whoa. There's like the, it's like at the beginning, there's like obviously like little orchestra kind of plays, but then like there's like a deep foreboding voice that comes in. There's like a little narration. It's him. And he actually uses some lines from Hellraiser. No shit. Yeah, which I thought was really, really cool. That's cool as fuck, honestly. Yeah, the last thing I want to say uh, about uh, you know metal music and bands and such is Ice Nine Kills. I'm yeah. not the, the the biggest fan of them, but their latest album, The Silver Scream, mm-hmm. if anyone's heard of it, is all just horror related stuff. I mean, the, that if you look at their like discography, it is a lot of horror related stuff. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah, because I know this album is just like a concept of just. Those movies. Yeah. And it's got Jaws, Friday the 13th. I think it's got Halloween on it, too. Yeah, I mean, hell, I mean, look at the uh, the music genre that I was really big into in high school and, like, fresh out of high school horror punk. Oh, yeah. Yeah, essentially nothing but just horror-themed music with, uh, you know, God, I can't tell you how many bands have fucking songs about Halloween. Oh, well, yeah, as you do. Yep. Uh, but talking about Christopher Lee, uh, he also turned down the role in the film, but he has stated... Where he did state to Carpenter and Hill in an interview that it ended up being one of the biggest mistakes of his career, considering how iconic the movie became. He said he wishes he had done it. Oh, damn. Well, he's dead now, so he'll never be able to do it. No, but it does make me sad because I did love Christopher Lee and everything. Because, God, yep. he... Like he had just such a like sinister sounding voice. His voice, his presence, you know, his look, just everything about that man. Yeah, I mean, God, he even played the evil doctor in Gremlins 2. Yeah, and he even played the uh, bastard dentist father in uh, Sweeney Todd, a demon barber. Yep. No, I... I oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I'm yeah, so yeah, sorry. you got... The, ba- the, the, the bastard dentist father in uh, Willy Wonka. Yeah, I was like, wait, all of a sudden, like, all my Johnny Depp weird <laughs> movies got, like, mashed in my head, and I was like, wait a second. I was like, I know he was in a movie with Johnny Depp, but I was like... Like, I just fast-forwarded the entire film of uh, Sweeney Todd in my head, and I was just like, I don't remember Christopher Lee being in that. But yeah, um, you are right. He was in Willy Wonka. He was. He was in a deleted scene. God, come on, Josh. If you'd watch it, you know. So originally, the budget of the film was $300,000. However, Carpenter asked to raise this to 3200000 $3, so that he could play the 20000 to acquire Donald Pleasance, who by this time had already lived pretty prolific career as an actor. I didn't know it was that high. 300,000? The budget of the movie? I mean, it's not that high. Well, yeah, but that was higher than I thought it was. Shit. Yeah, yeah well, he made that with $300,000. God damn, that looks like it was made with $3,000. Well, I mean, even paying the actors. I mean, it takes a lot to make a movie, but a lot of the money did go into uh, acquiring the cameras needed. But um, but yeah, so they essentially paid Donald Pleasance twenty thousand dollars for this film, which Donald Pleasance agreed to. Which I mean, at the time, I feel like that's pretty, you know, a pretty good paycheck for a movie, especially when he only filmed for like five days. I bet it's not as good as Star Wars. Probably right. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm sure the bud, like the the amount that people made in the first film, probably wasn't that much. But once you get into the the next two, yeah, they fucking made good money. Yeah, probably. So after Donald Pleasance, last but certainly not least for the main cast, let's talk about the star final girl of the film, Laurie Strode. Ooh, Jamie Lee Curtis! While Jamie Lee Curtis is certainly iconic in the in the role now, she wasn't Carpenter's first choice. Originally, Carpenter was looking at 
looking at Anne Lockhart, the daughter of actress June Lockhart. Oh. However, due to a full schedule of filming, it was Deborah Hill that turned their attention to Jamie Lee. Jamie caught the attention once they realized that her mother was Janet Lee, who played the role of Marion Crane in Psycho. The actress behind the infamous shower scene. Well, no fucking way. Shower scene. Yep. Wow. All right. Yeah, so obviously now this movie is like, you know, got somebody of horror royalty or relation to, to horror royalty. Because like when you think of iconic scenes and horror, that shower scene's probably one of the top. Yeah, no, I, I would definitely agree. Of course. And just to think. All that blood, chocolate chip. I'm hungry. That sounds <laughs> kind of good right now. Just the whole thing of chocolate syrup? Yeah, on a naked body. It then became obvious how well that this could play into publicity for the film, since her mother was in one of the most notable horror films at the time. Carpenter looked at the casting as a great homage to Alfred Hitchcock, who he wanted to kind of pay respect to. Of all the female leads who were supposed to be playing teenagers, as I said before, Jamie Lee Curtis was the only one still in high school. Yeah, starting off at a young, young age. And then, you know, go on to make movies with uh, Lindsay Lohan and start doing Activia commercials. and <laughs> Yep, and then starring in Scream Queens. Yeah, like she kind of went full circle because there was a time where she said like she wasn't a fan of horror films. Um, she just wasn't into it. And then now she's back into doing, you know, screen coins and then the new yes. Halloween. And she's like, I can wear a bra on screen. That's cool. Or wear, <laughs> or not wear a bra on screen. That's cool. So when it came to Michael Myers, a handful of people played the part throughout the film. But the role of the shape, which they call it the shape because it was kind of like a uh, little nod to the um, Salem witch trials. Because I guess uh, during the Salem witch trials, they always talked about like the evil shape of like a presence. Oh, so he okay. kind of just did it kind of like as a little like nod since they talked about um, Sawin and like paganism and all that stuff. Yeah. If you look at the credits, the role of the shape was billed to Nick Castle, who played the majority of the role. Castle was a longtime friend of Carpenter's and actually played in a band with him along with Tommy Lee Wallace called the Coupe de Villes. And if you listen to it, you actually get to hear Michael Myers sing, which is kind of ironic and funny, but it's actually, they're not bad, honestly. Oh, the Coupe de Ville's. Do they all own Cadillacs? I'm sure at some point, probably. Probably. One of those gigantic, like, 30-foot-long pink Cadillacs. Yeah, the fucking, uh... Pentmobile. Fucking land yachts. Yeah. So Castle originally had no plans to be in the film and just had gone to the set to see how filming was done due to his interest in behind-the-scenes world because he wanted to be a director. Okay. It was Carpenter who suggested he don the mask due to his size and intimidating walk. Caswell has gone on to direct movies like The Last Starfighter and even Major Pain. How tall was the guy? He was, I think, like 6'4", 6'5". Oh, all right. So, I mean, he was a decent-sized person. Yeah. Yeah, I love that he went on to direct, like, just... I mean, The Last Starfighter is pretty iconic, and actually it's in the news now because apparently they are talking about making a sequel, finally. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. And then, of course, Major Pain's kind of a Wayne's brother... Famous comedy. Got to fucking love, love that love movie. Love that fucking movie, man. I actually didn't realize that Nick Castle had directed that until I did this the research for this film. So that kind of like, I was like, holy shit. Yeah, that is right. pretty cool. Yeah. And I don't know what it is with me, but come when it comes to actors and actresses, I just like to know their heights. I want to know, because like, for example, in um, Hunger Games, with, yeah. with um, oh God, what the fuck's her name? 
Jennifer uh, Lawrence. Yeah, Jennifer Lawrence and then uh, Hutchinson there. You know, Hutchinson is a tiny guy, but of course, in the film, he's basically her height, if not a little bit lower. And it's just, I knew that the entire time. I'm like, he's not that tall. He's not that tall. So I was way off when I said Nick Castle's height. I actually looked it up. Motherfucker was only 5'10". So. See? But he looks gargantuan in the movie. So now I'm curious what Jamie Lee's height is. Oh, shit. She's probably like 5'8". I mean, that's when I when I found Angelina Jolie here. The first thing I said was like, oh, she's only 5'7". Oddly enough, Jamie Lee Curtis is also 5'7". Huh. So that's interesting. But, now, I will say, that's one of the things that I... like. The only thing I did like about Rob Zombie's Halloween was the guy that they played, that they got to play Michael Myers, because he was a fucking behemoth of a man. Uh, Tyler Mayne, who is fucking 6'9". I met him. That's like the mountain. I met him at one of the first uh, horror conventions that I went to, and it was funny, because you know I went up to his table, because he also played Sabretooth in the first X-Men movie. Oh, that guy. Yeah. So I met him, and he's like sitting at his table, and you know I got him to sign a picture, and um, you know I, I went to get a picture with him, and he stands up, and me being 5'3", this motherfucker being 6'9", I was like, yeah, you could just sit back down. <laughs> Ooh, that's a big guy. I mean, yeah, hell, dude, the, he's a fucking monster. The the two gentlemen that played the alien and mm-hmm. the predator, dude, they're like 7'3". Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's why they died at an early age, because yep. most people do, unfortunately. Yep. I know uh, Christopher Lee is 6'5". <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a big guy. But yeah, it's so easy to manipulate size. On set, whether cool. whether you, I mean, sure, yeah, use I don't know, fucking uh, platform shoes. Who the fuck knows? No, absolutely. But it's something that never, I don't know, like you never really think about it at first. But I feel like when you do, you're almost always wrong in some way. Like, wow, how tall is that guy? Oh my god! And it's like, oh shit, look at that. He's like four nine. Yet movie magic. I don't know, because I mean, when you want somebody like a killer or like a, a hero. I mean, for some reason, the first one that came to mind just now was Aquaman, Jason Momoa. Yeah. But they're always made to be taller. You know, someone literally, literally to look up to. Mm -hmm. Now, in the villain sense, no. But it's it's someone that they look down on you. They almost like, not necessarily pity you, but they're just like, you know, you're you're not me. It's okay. I got like three spectrums when I think about people like my height. That like, I'm like, yeah, you know, people... People be like, oh, five, three people, they're not famous, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, uh, I got- uh, Danny DeVito? Oh, I got Danny DeVito. Well, I mean, he's shorter than I am, but I also got Dio, who was my height. I got Bruce Lee, who was my height. And then on the other side of the spectrum, I got Charles Manson. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, yeah, he was a short motherfucker. I can't believe Dio was that small. Oh, yeah, dude, he, he was a tiny man. I love Dio, though. Danny DeVito is 4'10". Woo. So, yeah, he's about my mom's height. Are your mom's that tall? Uh, that tiny? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, she was she was like 4'10". My dad's 5'9". I was kind of fucked from the start on my height. <laughs> but hey, you were like literally the, the medium there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So other than uh, Nick Castle, other people who played the villain for certain scenes was Deborah Hill, whose hands were used during the beginning scenes where My- Myers reaches into the drawer for the kitchen knife, and when he attacks his sister's, they used her because at the time when they filmed it, they couldn't get the young Michael Myers until like the very last day of filming. So that's why, like, if you look at those scenes and you pay attention to Michael's hands, the nails are pretty, pretty manicured. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so speaking of young Michael, he was played by Will Sandin, who really didn't uh, go on to do much more films after that. He actually became a cop. 
Okay, yeah, protect and serve. Whether you're, you know, wait, who was who was that character? Will Sandon. He played the young Michael Myers. Like when they unmask at the very, very beginning, the oh. little kid in the clown costume that's standing there with the knife. That was All him. Right. Tony Moran plays the unmasked Myers at the end of the film during the confrontation with Strode. Um, and then the stuntman for Myers was James Winsburn. Now, talking about Tony Moran, um, I was reading an interview where Nick Castle talks about why Carpenter didn't just use him. And he's like, you know, I, I he's like, I understood it. You know, John wanted a uh, Carpenter, wanted a uh, person with a more like angelic face. So like when they unmask him, be like, wow, this guy's not terrible looking, even though there's, you know, obviously he's a little bit jacked up in the film, but I guess um, at the time, Nick Castle was pretty shaggy looking. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It's, that's funny you say that too, because while I was watching, I was like, oh, look, it's actually kind of a, kind of a cutesy guy. Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason why Carpenter wanted that. So like when they unmask, you'd be like, wow, somebody so pretty can be a monster. Yeah. It's not like when you look at John Wayne Gacy. You're just like, oh, shit, dude. Yeah, or, you know, fucking Jason Voorhees and his fucked up face. Yeah, but he had hydrocephalus. He was a melon head. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Shameless plug for uh, TFR here. (laughs) Again, um, yeah, wow, okay. Hmm. I'm going to watch Friday the 13th in a totally different way now. I mean, I don't know if they say that, but... I mean, I think that is literally it, though. Like, he has hydrocephalus, but I don't know if they go on to say it or if it's written in, like, a you know, a doctor's note, what it is. Yeah, I don't actually know. I'm not 100% sure. Now I'm curious. I'm 99.9% sure it is. So, as I've stated before, the original budget for the film was $300,000, which in today's money would be around $1,198,000 even. Oh, so okay. So, think about that inflation. That's a... Pretty good. That is a good chunk. Still, I feel like that's nowhere near like the budget of a movie now. Oh hell no! I don't care what movie. I mean, it we is. have like fucking multi-million dollar movies now. Yeah. So half of this budget was spent just securing the Panavision cameras needed to give the film a more cinematic ratio. Due to the film's low budget, they tried to save money by having the actors wear their own clothes they owned. And I think I read. Um, the only one that they really bought was Jamie Lee Curtis's from like a JC Penney's for like a hundred bucks. Oh, so Michael Myers already had the mask. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> okay. We'll get to it. Oh, that's right. He stole from a store. Exactly. That scene was improvised. It was also due to the low budget. The now famous mask was created. So it wasn't anywhere before that. You want to hear the story of the mask? Yeah, please. I actually think the, the story of the mask is actually really fucking interesting. I'll sit down, crisscross applesauce like a good little child, and you can tell me the story. Okay. Okay. Because honestly, if they didn't do the alterations to the mask that they used, uh, people would be thinking about Star Trek very differently. Oh, my God. (laughs) So according to interviews, Carpenter has spoken how he sent crew members out to find a mask that they could use, since the script didn't ask for, like, a specific mask. It just talked about, you know, a masked killer. Oh, my God. The mask they could have chosen? (laughs) Oh, so it came down to two masks. One was a smiling clown mask with fizzy, fizz, frizzy red hair. And this was supposed to be a callback to like... Lion-O? Yes. <laughs> but no, it was going to be a callback to the, the costume that Michael Myers is wearing when he kills his little sister. Okay. So, so it became a clown mask. Or the other 
the the famous uh, Michael Myers mask that we see now. You know what it's made from? I know whose face it's made from. A fucking Captain Kirk <laughs> Star Trek mask. <laughs> William Shatner. I bet he loves that. God, what if he was the killer? But yeah, just imagine uh, being chased by fucking William Shatner. Just dramatically just acting as he's coming to fucking stab you. That is literally top three on my top five scariest fears of all time. <laughs> getting stabbed by... Uh... Yeah, getting chased and stabbed by William Shatner. That's fair. While he recites his uh, Captain Kirk lines. So originally, they almost went with the clown mask until the changes that Tommy Lee Wallace had done to the Kirk mask. He spray painted the flesh of the mask white, ripped the sideburns off, teased the hair back, and widened the eye holes, which resembled the mask when an eyes without a face, which came out in the 1960s. So again, they didn't want any resemblance towards John Wayne Gacy. Nope. Didn't want that clown mask. All of these changes gave the mask an even creepier look. Fuck all, yeah, it did. All around emotionless, basically. And, I mean, if you think about it, it kind of fits the character being super emotionless. And oh, just yeah. The killer. When I go to Spirit or Halloween City or whatever, and I see, like, the little just, like, baby mask or just any human face that's just a plain, human, emotionless, expressionless face, it's creepy as hell. And honestly, if you look up the pictures of, like, the original Captain Kirk mask, they're even creepier, too. Like, oh. like they're, it's fucking terrifying. Because, I mean, obviously, early 70s, they weren't super detailed with the mask. But, yeah, it uh, doesn't really look like uh, Captain Kirk. It looks like nobody. And that's one of the reasons why they went with it. You know what came out decades later that was, you know, way past its time? It should have been, it should have came out early 1978. Mm-hmm. Those Tyrannosaurus Rex costumes. <laughs> that's what he should have wore. Now, imagine that. Imagine Jamie. You know, talking to, well, Lori in the movie, talking to the kids at the top of the stairs. And they're like, look! And a T-Rex standing there with a fucking knife in its with hand. With the fucking running of that, the, and like, the, little, the swish yeah. noise that it makes. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, almost like you have those, like, swishy pants on, whatever the fuck they're called. So I love this quote from uh, Carpenter, kind of talking about, about you being chased by uh, William Captain Shatner. Kirk. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. William Shatner. I can only imagine the results if they hadn't painted the mask white. Children, <laughs> children would be checking their closets for William Shatner at, at night. <laughs> so wait, was the mask originally not white? No, it was like a flesh-colored mask. Okay, if they you, just if you said that, I guess white. I just missed it. You did. Okay, I'm but sorry. Yeah, so it's, actually, you know what? I want to pull up a picture of this oh, mask. Oh, good. The original mask, just because I want your uh, reaction Fear-induced? To it. Okay. Yes. Okay, sure. So, Matthew... <laughs> I hope you're ready for this. Now, is this this is the original William Shatner mask? Yep. <laughs> the fucking disgust Ew. on Matt's face. Good God. So, as you can see, doesn't look like Shatner, really. No, it doesn't look like Shatner at all. So, yeah. I think the the white is creepier, honestly. The white is definitely creepier, and you can see how they widen the eye holes a bit. And, and all got that. rid of the eyebrows? Yep. Or at least some of the, them? The, yeah. sideboard, the sideburns and all that. Yeah. yeah um, You're right, though. They're both creepy as hell. I will. I think I want to post a picture of the original mask and the side-by-side on Instagram. Do it. So, I think that's good. If you guys haven't seen it or if you guys haven't looked it up, we'll have it posted on our, on our Facebook and uh, Instagram. See, what he should have done, since the movie, of course, he walks around in the dark all the time, he should have had two masks, like, back-to-back. 
and put that on his face. And then no one would ever be able to realize which way he was looking. Of course, neither would he, probably. So now that we have our cast, our crew, the mask, our killer, it was time for filming. Ooh, I was going to say, what's left? So filming began in May of 1978 and took 20 days over a four-week period. That's it? Yeah, four weeks. Holy shit. Holy shit, I didn't realize it was in 1978 when it released. Yep. So it it went for a month and then it was released, when did you say, May? Yep. Yeah, and then it was released how many months afterwards? How uh, many? Not many. I, I do talk about like the release originally to give oh me the God. exact date. So majority of the filming took place in South Pasadena, California, and in the Spalding Square neighborhood of Hollywood due to its Midwestern style look and charm. And honestly, it does look like a lot of Midwestern neighborhoods. If you look at like the... Uh, Especially the houses and everything. Yeah. The house that stood in place as the Myers house was owned by a local church and had stood abandoned. For the beginning segment to the film, the crew had to completely redo the inside of the house, putting in furniture, wallpaper, and even working electricity, all to just be taken out after filming. Due to filming in spring, it was hard for the crew to find the amount of pumpkins needed. They also had to reuse artificial leaves that that they would spread around for multiple scenes to help give it that fall feel. Oh, okay. So now if you go back, if you um think back when I talked about how a uh, legendary horror icon before he was like a horror icon showed up. Yeah. This is where I was talking about. Ooh. A fun little tidbit about the Leafs. In an interview with, Ath- interview with Access Live in 2018, horror icon Robert England, who played Freddy Krueger in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, spoke about actually working on the set for a day back in 1978. I'm blown away. Quote, it's so funny. I actually had a roommate back when they did the original Halloween, the John Carpenter one, and he conned me into going to Pasadena one day with garbage bags full of dead leaves, and we were working on the set of the original Halloween, throwing dead leaves around so it looked like autumn, like the fall back in the Midwest. Never in my life would I ever think someone could tell me a fact about dead leaves that would actually be so fucking cool. That would so tie interesting. Two fucking legendary like movie franchises together. Fucking leaves. He he ran around with garbage bags full of leaves. Yep. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I'm blown away. Not like a leaf blows in the wind. I'm just blown away. So one of the biggest complaints and questions raised during the viewings of the film is how was Michael Myers able to able to drive if he was taken into custody at age six? And even been committed in the asylum for 15 years. How was he able to drive? And every scene you see him in, like you actually see him in the car, he's just staring at people. Man, I laughed so fucking hard (laughs) when Jamie's sitting in in school and like, you know, twiddling her thumbs and putting her pencil on the desk and looks out and he's just fucking standing there. (laughs) And then he gets home or she gets home and she looks out her back window for whatever reason. She's just like, huh? And looks at her clothesline and he's just fucking standing there. And then her and I think I think it might be her and Annie and yeah. uh, uh, the other one and they're on the street and <laughs> they just see him drive by and he's just like staring out. The oh window. yeah, he's like one of those fucking rubberneckers <laughs> that like watches a crash. <laughs> oh man, I was laughing so hard. Now honestly, when I first watched this film growing up, that was actually a uh, question that I asked myself. I was like, doesn't really make any sense if this guy was, you know six and then had been institutionalized all this time. And Loomis is like, oh, someone must have taught him. So, the first novelization of the film that released prior to the film's official release gave us a pretty good answer. 
It stated that while Loomis would drive Myers to sanity hearings over the years, My- Myers would watch carefully from the back because it would only have like that plain that glass window in the back. Mm-hmm. He would just watch over Loomis's shoulders very carefully, learning how Loomis drives. Because he was like, in 1978, I'm going to fucking break out of here. Yes, yeah, this is going to be the car I'm in, and I'm going to know how to drive it and get away. Yep. Oh, wow. Smart kid. Because compared to most serial killers in movies, Myers, I think, does some of the more, like, the most driving of all of them. Because he, he drives <laughs> in some of the other sequels, too. And just like a serial killer being bad, he doesn't even have a license. That bastard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but he drives a... A horrible station wagon. My God. Hey, cool. they, they stole it. Oh, he stole it. And actually, a fun little tidbit about the station wagon that I learned. Oh, God. They rented, so they rented the station wagon from like just some car rental place. They slapped like a peelable decal on the side. The rental place apparently had no idea they used a car for the film. Seriously? Yep. Like they um, used a different one, like mm. a different car when they smashed out the window. But yeah. They had no idea that the car was even filmed. Well, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, the coolest car in that whole damn movie was that 72 or 3 Monte Carlo. Reminds me of my dad's. I was like, hey, that's pretty nice. Everything yeah. else fucking sucked. That guy's like Ford Bronco when he comes up and he doesn't close the door when he gets uh, uh, Vanderklok oh, out of the yeah. car. I'm like, nah, nothing compares to Monte Carlo. So as we stated before, talking about how the score for this film pretty much made it. I want to get into a little bit of a deep dive about the soundtrack. Now, there's no denying how important sound and overall scores are to horror and genre in general. Every horror movie that you've seen has some kind of like iconic sound or even like just um, theme in general. Yeah. You know, they help create a feeling of suspense as we, the viewer, await what may be lurking in the shadows. To give you an idea of how well Carpenter's score he created for Halloween helped with the overall film... Carpenter showed the film to an executive before it was 100% completed to give to kind of give them an idea or to get an idea of how people would react to the film. Okay, okay. And at this version, they had no music at all. Like it was just the film, audio, and all that. Oh, they didn't have that high screeching like violin the first 10 minutes of the movie just Nope. As young Michael's walking up the stairs, I'm like, "God damn it, make it stop." So without the music, the executive didn't find it scary at all and a bit boring. According to the sources, she saw the film again once it had been officially released and actually changed their mind and actually ended up really liking it. Well, nice. I'm glad some people are capable of change. And it is one of those things, like like you said, too. Like It just adds kind of like a weird suspense. Like Obviously, it, like you, you know, the tempo picks up when you know Myers is going to be nearby. But you're like, fuck, what's going to happen? Or when Jamie looks around and it goes, shing! And he's just fucking standing there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. The (laughs) the point where he is standing on the edge of, like, well, the hedge. Oh, the bush, yeah. He's just standing there. Broad fucking, this guy has balls. Broad daylight. I mean, it's fucking 2.30 in the afternoon, and people are already trick-or-treating. And he's just standing there in that blue I don't know. What what was that outfit? Was it, like, a fucking mechanics Yeah, it was a mechanics jacket because he killed the... One truck. Oh, driver. he killed the truck driver. That's yep. right. That's right. Because he didn't have that before. Um, yeah, he just fucking stands there and she stares. She stares at him as she walks like another ten feet. Like, what the fuck? And then he just gets behind it. Like, and oh, then she's okay. like, oh, what, what? What the fuck did I just see? I don't know what it was. Andy, go check it out. Andy's got balls too for checking it out. But I'm just like, seriously, this. 
I don't know. This guy is, he is a different type of serial killer, I must say. Like, no rules of, no normal rules of serial killing applies. So the now iconic Halloween score was made by Carpenter on a keyboard playing, as Matt said earlier, the 5-4 signature. Yeah. It only took Carpenter four days to compose the entire film. He took inspiration from Dario Argento's Suspiria and William Fredkin's, Friedkin, sorry, The Exorcist. Whoa. Both also having a very unique and haunting sound throughout the runtime. God, the, ex- mm-hmm. the the theme for The Exorcist, I don't know why, but I love it so much. That will be another film I want to cover eventually in the future, just because that's another very iconic horror film that has a lot behind it. With filming starting just five months earlier, it was now October, and it was time for the film to be released to the public. Woo! Halloween premiered on October 25th in Kansas City, Missouri at the AMC Empire Theater. Overall, the film grossed a total of $47 million here in the United States with an additional $23 million internationally, making the total $70 million against their $300,000 budget. Holy fuck. Making this one of the most successful indie films of all time. To give you an idea, $70 million in today's money is around $250 million $960,000. I, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, that's a lot of money. Yeah. It also In kinda, that time. It also gives you an idea of just how crazy inflation has been. But yeah. God, fucking. That, oh, that movie made 200, nearly $251 million. Yeah. So like just to make $70 million against a $300,000 budget, like that's insane. Just because a late, a late. Tex William Shatner was running around in a mechanic suit. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. With very little promotion and advertising done, the film performed well during its initial release. Most of its success came from word of mouth by fellow moviegoers. And that's, I mean, back in the day, that's kind of how a lot of movies got promoted. And it's insane. Oh, they didn't use Twitter? No, they didn't go tweet about it. They didn't go fucking like Facebook status. They didn't selfie in front of the screen like, ha ha, going to see Halloween. Uh, they didn't make incredible memes of like Bill Clinton sitting there with uh, the DVD case of Halloween in his hand. Like, check it out. <laughs> oh, they couldn't do that yet. Mm, shame. God, can you imagine though? No, I literally cannot imagine. <laughs> with how they acted, no. While many critics at the time w- weren't very interested in the film, horror fans were loving it, which is still something that is very prominent in today's horror genre. I mean, critics, a lot of times, you know, they don't say a whole lot about the films. Like, they'll just be like, oh, well, it was all right, I guess. But, like, horror fans will be fucking, like, for instance, Hereditary. Fucking, um, I can't remember the actress's name, but the main actress that played in the movie one of the best performances in a film I have ever seen. She completely got snubbed by the Oscars just because it was a horror film. Okay, now you mean the mom or the child? The mom. Okay. Like, her acting throughout that entire film is so fucking insane. But, you know, horror films don't generally get a whole lot of attention at uh, the Oscars. That's why I was such a big fan of um, When the Shape of Water won. Uh, how... Best picture, just because while it's not technically a, a horror film, it is a monster film. And in my eyes, monster films fall under that category. So how horror would you say The Shape of Water is? I mean, there are definitely horror elements. Like, uh, towards the end, I mean, the creature does get pretty brutal. 
but for the most part, it is kind of like a love story and a, a weird love story in a way. But again, like I said, a monster movie essentially. So even while it's not directly horror, it's still it's still like a huge moment for the horror community. And that was the same year that Get Out, Jordan Peele's uh, famous movie now, won uh, Best Screenplay, I believe. Oh. So, well, congratulations to him. So all in all, that was probably one of the biggest years for horror. Like, the only, like, uh, when you think about horror movies and, like, the Oscars, which, you know, some people don't really regard the the Oscars and all that, but I, th- I think one of the only other big horror films that got nominated was The Exorcist back when it released. Really? Now, so what do you, what makes you think people don't, the Oscars, don't take horror movies into that much consideration, it seems? I don't, I honestly don't know. I've, I've always wondered that because, I mean, a lot of horror films, especially now, like the acting, like for the more serious ones, like Hereditary, for example, the acting's pretty insane. Yeah. Compared to like what other movies are. Oh, even but, the same, is it the same director that did uh, uh, Midsummer? That did Hereditary? Yes, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I even think the acting in that was phenomenal. Have you seen Midsummer? Yes, I have. Yeah, I thought that even the acting in that was phenomenal. Yeah, it's just, it's it's a shame that's such a great genre that has amazing writing and, you know, uh, directors and art style and everything just get snubbed by the Academy. Yeah, that is a goddamn shame because I feel like that's where so much of, you know, the, the proprietary, the innovativeness of film and, and genre, the imagination is, lies in horror. Yep. I mean, how many times can you make movies like 13 going on 30? Or again, Princess Diaries again. I mean, how many times can you do that? Exactly. The yeah. Notebook, you know, all that. Obviously, I'm not a big fan of like romance and such. But uh, yeah, how many times can you do that over and over and over again? Yeah, I, I will say I do want to do an episode on The Shape of Water just because I love Del Toro, uh, Guillermo Del Toro, and Doug Jones, who plays the creature. Like, I'm, I was honestly in love with The Shape of Water. I thought it was a great movie. Um, I know you're going to hate me, but I have still have yet to see it. Well, I have it, and I will let you borrow it when we do oh, the episode. Oh, God, I'm so happy. So while critics um, said that they weren't a big fan of the movie, they did state that they were impressed with Carpenter's use of camera angles and the surprising lack of blood, as I said before, because there is a surprising lack. They expected, you know, a fucking just brutal slasher film. And I think that's another reason why people, like, the, the Academy's kind of against movies like this just because they're like oh it's just a slash fest yeah i mean i'm not the biggest fan of slasher movies um i'm not really sure why yeah i just can't get into them that much for me slasher films are one of those that like i just put on like while i'm working or something and like it's one of those where i'm like i don't care about the story i don't really care about the characters for me it's just like through creativity with the kills more than anything i i I think we've had this talk before. Yeah. I think your uh, your idea of creativeness of the kills can sway my my liking of one movie or the yeah. other when it comes to a slasher film. Um, I don't mind Freddy. I don't mind Jason. They have some kind of supernatural aspect to them. Yeah. Because I crave that. And I, I like Freddy just because of like his fucking humor in those movies, too. Yep. Yep. That, his fucking that's always one-liners. a must. It's prime time, bitch. Fucking <laughs> smashes her head through a TV. So when you say like all like, you know, creature films you think are kind of like horror films or horror aspect, I mean, do you think really all creature films are like that? Like even like Kung Fu Panda and shit? Uh, have you seen Kung Fu Panda? Yeah, that movie's fucking terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> 
fucking. I just, I just wanted to note. I just wanted to note. Live action creature films. So, okay. even if you look at like, I don't know, ah, Harry the... and the Hendersons. Yes, <laughs> fucking Harry and the Hendersons is terrifying. Uh, where the wild things grow or are are yeah. I I mixed that and uh, where the red ferns grow. Two childhood books. Um, but yeah, the creature. I even though I love the costumes in that movie, those creatures are fucking terrifying in some aspects. They're kind of horrifying. Yeah, I never watched the movie, but the book I read that, and I was like, these things are kind of weird. Mm-hmm. So to the today, the film is still highly praised and considered a staple in the horror genre. If you look at the list, like any list of greatest horror films of all time, nine out of ten, Halloween is most likely going to be on there somewhere, and a lot of times, pretty high up. Oh yeah. For instance, in 2001, the film ranked number 68 on the American Film Institute's TV program, 100 Years, 100 Thrills. The Chicago Film Critics Association also named it the third serious film of all time, which I'm like, "Mm, okay, maybe not. But to each their own. I mean, in some terms, it is scary, but for the most part, I will say I do love the scene um, where after Lori finds her friend's bodies, and she's like backing up to the doorway, and uh, you know the room's all dark, and all of a sudden you see like William Shatner. Yeah, you see William Shatner just appear from the shadows. They actually did that scene. They used a uh, light dimmer oh. and directed like a light straight on the mask, so that way they could just whoop, slide up the the dimmer, and that's why the mask just looks like it appears. Oh, okay. And it's honestly such a fucking great like just again scene. a simple way to do it, but it's just so effective. And let oh, me yeah. just say, the Annie's death in the car, mm-hmm. wow, her facial expressions were fantastic. Yeah, I will say, I, the one detail in that scene that I really do like is the fact, like, when she gets in the car and she sees how, like, um, you know, like, if you sit in a car that's turned off and it's kind of cold, how the windows start to get kind of foggy. I love that they use that that kind of detail because she, like, when she gets in the car, she's like, oh, this is kind of weird because how with Myers being in the back seat, obviously for who knows how long the windows got fogged up. No, that was incredible. I you was like, correct. I was like, wow, that's such a nice, like little touch. Yeah. I'll feel like a lot of filmmakers wouldn't think about. And then he proceeds to grab her by the throat and then grunt like 38 times. Yep. <clears throat> yep. And then when he's breaking into the closet for Jamie or Lori or yeah, Lori, he uh, continues to grunt 58 times. Just 58 times? Did you count? No, I didn't, but someone oh. should out should out there. Yeah, watch Halloween and do a grunt counter. Yeah, uh, drink, drinking contest. Every time Myers grunts. Uh, do it with sips of beer, because if it's as high as Matt said, I do not want to condone alcohol poisoning. No, he makes a lot of grunts. See, that's what I pay attention to. <laughs> mm, I'm not going to ask any questions. Okay. So as far as many of the slashes go, I believe Halloween and Michael Myers continues to scare today due to the fact that realistically someone like Myers could exist in the real world real world pretty much like we talked about earlier with the fact that anybody can really don a mask and just go out and kill babysitters yeah I don't think anybody can really like haunt my dreams and then get me in real life yeah I don't think so no no I was like trying to think of something and I was like "Mm, no I guess not no nah now there is no denying Halloween brought to us many of the standard tropes seen in today's slasher films I deny it yeah there you go buddy Fuck that statistic. But obviously, we see it more so in the 80s than we do today. Now, like, um, you know, nowadays it's all fucking paranormal films, which some I like, some I don't. Or demon films. Oh my God. Yeah. If demon you think ghost about it, films. If you think about it, like, 
every like decade kind of goes in like some kind of like shtick. With the eighties, we had the slashers. Nineties was a little bit of everything, but some fucking weird shit. And then we had you know like Nirvana, yeah. And, but then we had like the eras of zombie films, and then you know paranormal films, haunted house films, and then all of a sudden found footage films. We have a fuck ton of found footage films. Then we had Woo! a fuck ton of you know demon films and possession films. So it all kind of just goes in waves. And in each wave, you get some fantastic films, and then you get some stinkers. I don't know, man. It's hard for me to find some fantastic films in the whole, like, haunting ghost demon ones. Because, I mean... There are some great ones. And we, yeah. I will talk about some of them eventually. You have to um, show me them. Because when I think of, like, Last Exorcism, Emily Rose, Ouija, and all that, I'm just like... Ugh. Watch uh, as far as Ouija goes. Watch Ouija Creations. It's the sequel. It's far better than the fucking shitty first one. Huh. And it's made by Mike Flanagan, who did Haunting a Hill House. Yeah, okay. He uh, did that one. Uh, he did Hush. Mike Flanagan. I like. I, I've said it before. I think. I think I even say it in the like, Farthest Reaches podcast. Right now, Mike Flanagan is one of my favorite uh, current day directors. Just because, like, his attention to details is so fucking just amazing. And there are a couple scenes in uh, Ouija. It's it's called Ouija, like, Creation of Evil or some shit like that. Oh, okay. Um, But, yeah, that film kind of give, gives me the heebie-jeebies. Really? Yeah, there are a couple scenes where I'm just like, ooh, I wasn't a fan <laughs> of that. And it's also one of the movies that don't have a happy ending that I like. Thank God. Well, Mr. Flanagan, it sounds like you're going to have a very successful career. I mean, you already do, but hey, who knows where it'll go now. So some of the tropes that we have, you know, we have the theme song for Killers, the final girl, and the characters that are drinking, abusing some form of substance, mostly weed and alcohol. That's me, man. Or, you know... Being sex like all sexual, all finding themselves eliminated by our villain. Oh yeah. While Halloween wasn't the first movie to do these tropes, it is the one that has made it the most popular. And I think the one that kind of takes those tropes and runs with it is obviously Friday the thirteenth. So when we talk about Halloween, obviously there's many sequels. Yep. There's like eight sequels, many reboots, then you know, some of them got retconned, and now we got another reboot coming out. Um so Carpenter and Hill were only directly involved with writing the first Halloween sequel, Halloween 2. Okay. You know, fucking, huh, they really thought hard about that name. Yeah. And this movie took place almost immediately where Halloween ended. This film was supposed to wrap up the story of Michael Myers and Laurie Strode. Halloween 3 was intended, which is one of my favorites, Halloweens, which I get shit on a lot. But Halloween 3 was intended to be the beginning of an anthology-style series with events surrounding the holiday of Halloween. But after the negative responses from critics due to the lack of slasher, they decided to bring Myers back for the fourth installment. Which one was the um the pumpkin masks? That's Halloween three. That is okay. Yep, season of the witch. I like I don't know, there's something about it because it's it is a very much more of a uh fantasy kind of horror. Cause it, See, I might actually dig that more. Because it there's a mask company who's selling masks and um the masks like melt kids' faces and shit, and it's Fuck yeah, really fucked up. And plus, you get Tom Atkins, who is a pretty legendary actor when it comes to horror films. I mean, he's in everything from The Fog, um, Night of the Creeps, which I fucking love. And I mean, well, 
He was almost in The Thing, too, which we talk about a little bit in an upcoming episode. Hint, hint, hint. <laughs> nod, nod, nod. <laughs> wink, wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Grope, grope, grope. Tug, tug, tug. So today, Halloween still lives on with a new installment as recent as 2018's Halloween, which retcons all the past sequels and plays as a direct sequel to the 1978 film. Two direct sequels will be released in 2021 titled Halloween Kills and in 2022 titled Halloween Ends. I will say, while I did enjoy the 2018 Halloween, there was one thing that really bugged me, and I didn't think about this until I was talking with a friend about it. They were wearing bras. Yes. Um, But in the film, like, Lori is you know, obviously traumatized of the past experience, but like she goes full like fucking like war mode where she's like super prepared for like she like she's prepared that Michael's gonna escape. Like she has like all these booby traps set up at her house. She's like becoming like a marksman with like different kind of guns and shit. <clears throat> and I'm like, okay, yeah, I get it. You're traumatized, you know, shit like this happens, but in the same breath. Shit like this happens to people, and they totally don't go on this, like, war path. Okay, okay. So, like, it just, I don't know, it kind of bugged me, because I'm like, okay, yeah, this guy killed some of your friends, but then he gets locked up, but you're, like, so determined that he's gonna come back for you, and you're setting up traps in your house. I think I just thought too much into it. I mean, well, oh, I guess I don't know. I could see, I guess, both sides of it. Yeah. Like, like I'd want to be prepared, but I don't know if I ever would be prepared. Sure, I'd be, you know, looking behind me at every chance I get. Oh yeah, like people. I mean, you go through something like that, you're gonna have trauma. But like, I don't know. It just kind of seemed a little too much in my eyes. I mean, not to take anything away from the film because it was a great film, and goddamn, the fucking kills in it are brutal as fuck. Ooh yeah, ooh yeah. But ooh. um, but yeah, that was the only thing that really bugged me. And cool fact, uh, Nick Castle actually did play michael myers in a few scenes in that movie oh cool just, how come just a few um i think the, uh, i don't think he wanted to do like the full movie and there's some movies that um required more uh a little bit more athleticism and i think just you know, being older in stature and everything he he only wanted to do certain scenes okay okay but i haven't done like a super detailed dive into that movie so i'm not 100 percent sure like what scenes he did what scenes he didn't I believe as history moves forward and the horror genre continues to grow, Michael Myers will live on along with the other iconic slashers and continue to scare the shit out of any babysitter just <laughs> trying to make a buck <laughs> and having to live in the fear of the boogeyman the night he comes home. Ooh, nice way to conclude that. I can see these uh, these children like, can we watch a movie? And then like babysitters are like, oh, I guess so. Which one do you want to watch? Oh, I think we can watch this one. But on Halloween, he's sitting there like... <laughs> so... Obviously, you said you watched it last night, and it kind of ties into, as I hinted before, ties into a movie that we're going to be covering next. Nuh-uh. The Thing. Did you notice that they were watching? I did. Yep. I loved it. And it's funny, because I knew it was going to happen, and it's sitting there, and the screen's like dissolving, showing the intro to it, and I'm kind of like looking over my wife, like, is she going to know? Is she going to know? And then by the time... You can basically see the word. She goes, oh, nice, nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a cool little nod because, you know, at the time, he hadn't directed the thing. And it's the original, original. Yeah. And I mean, because um, Carpenter was a big fan of the original. Uh, so it kind of like, it's kind of nice to see that he uses that in this movie. And then, you know, a couple of years down the line, gets the job to make a remake of the thing. Man, it's so, funny how the universe just 
works out sometimes, goes, right? Goes full circle. Uh, I know my wife has told me before, but her mother is terrified of Michael Myers. And oh, really? for, the, for the longest time, we really had no idea why. It's like, why? First of all, why? What did he do? Yeah. That was, Second of all, why him? Usually, yeah, because usually there's got to be some kind of like just story. Because, I mean, obviously, sure, you could be creeped out, but to be absolutely terrified. Yeah. And for the longest time, I mean, we really had no idea. And uh, I would try and find mask if we went to like again spirit or halloween city or something like that one of and those she, people she'd be like Ugh. and then um uh her little uh, uh i guess nephew I, I can't remember not her mom's but my wife's um uh, they were dressing it up for dressing him up for halloween and then one year he was jigsaw one year he was chucky and then one year i, I forget what it was but we we're like hey why not michael myers she's like nope not doing that not michael myers well come to find out she went to a screening she went to the theater and watched. She was born in 76, so it wasn't the first Halloween. It must have been, I mean, it could have been the first Halloween, but it wasn't when it first came out. Yeah, like a, like I, a, like a special screening. Special screening, or maybe it was a sequel. I don't know. But apparently there was a gentleman in the theater dressed as Michael Myers. I don't know if there's any more, but there's at least one dressed as Michael Myers. And she said that he would just be wherever she was. She's getting popcorn or something like that. He would be there, and he'd be like looking at her. Oh you know, God! Walk into the actual theater room. He'd be walking there too. He would be in the theater with them. Like she, like he would follow her wherever she went. And then when she goes to leave and walk to her car, he's walking behind her. Like not. I don't want to say chasing because I feel like chasing implies running. Yeah. But he was following her to her car, and Jesus. she just gets in the car and she just books it. She had a friend with her, and apparently she had her brother with her too because they left. Her brother there. <laughs> they fucking drove off with him. We, I think that was the, the account. Like, man, that's uh, that guy, whoever he was, or girl, could have been a girl, I guess. Um, that sounds like somebody who is like a scare actor at like haunts, because that's one of the things they do is like they pinpoint the like the one who's the most terrified in a group, and they're like, okay, I could have some fun with this person, just completely fucks with them. So now, do you know instances where? I don't know if it would be the movie theater or what, but they would hire people to do that. Like, I know haunts. Like, say, Kings Island has a yeah. haunt, I, I believe. Not offhand, but, I mean, it's not to say that a film, like a theater, would hire somebody to do it. Uh, but I personally don't know. But, I mean, honestly, it's a great fucking sales tactic. <laughs> yeah. Eyes. Yeah. Um, I think they should totally do that. That'd be cool as fuck. It would be. Um, One thing I do want to add, just because it's a little nod from another film to Halloween uh, in the film Baby Driver, which, um, you know, is about people that bank like rob banks and do all the kind of robberies and everything. I mean, it's a great film minus Kevin Spacey. Fuck him. Um, yeah, that fucking asshole. I, I, like, I hate watching the movie now because of him, but it's such a great film that like I try to like not let him take away from it. Yep, he's tainted it, man. But there's a scene where they're getting ready to rob this armored truck and they talk about needing... Uh, like when he gives kind of like the breakdown, they talk about uh, getting Halloween mask or mm -hmm. Michael Myers mask. Yeah. And before they uh, rob the truck, the guy that gets the mask pulls out Mike Myers masks, like like <laughs> Austin Powers mask. <laughs> and uh, Jamie Foxx's character is like, you're supposed to get the scary guy from Halloween. Or uh, you're supposed to get the Michael Myers mask. And the guy's like, this is Michael Myers. He's like, no, the fucking Halloween mask. He's like, this is a Halloween mask. <laughs> and the story behind it, apparently, because I was like curious, because I was like, that's such a weird kind of scene. 
And I wondered if there's any kind of story to it. So I did a little bit of digging and it turns out apparently they wanted to use the Michael Myers like Halloween masks in the movie, but they couldn't get the film rights to it in time or like the budget wouldn't allow it or whatever. And I guess the director was friends or had worked with like Mike Myers before and had contacted them about using his likeness. And Mike Myers thought it was fucking hilarious. And was like, yeah, go for it. And that it ends is... up being one of the funniest parts in the movie. That is so badass. I love it's, that it's, so much. It's little shit like that that I love. But, oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, all in all, I mean, I, I, I really do enjoy the Halloween series, um, the franchise, I should say, as a whole. I mean, obviously, once they start getting to the Cult of Thorn and the weird shit, it starts to get a little out there. But for the most part, I mean, they're all pretty fun. Um, and I mean, like, even the reboots and the remakes, they have their, like, moments. And I, I do think it's funny. Um, Daniel Harris plays uh, Michael Myers. I think it's, like, I've, it's been a while since I've seen the other sequels. So it's been a while. Forgive me if I'm wrong. Yeah. But um, I've never seen him, so I'll never know what the she, fuck you talk about. So Daniel Harris plays a little girl in, I think it's Halloween 5 and 6. Which, if I'm, if I'm remembering, I think it's like Michael Myers is like little sister or like niece or something. It's like some kind of relation. Oh my God, there's six of these. And oh, there's a lot. But um, that actress actually went on to play Annie in uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween. Oh. So it's another kind of like little like full circle kind of ordeal, yeah. with that, which I thought was kind of cool. <coughs> yeah, all in all. Um, that was our breakdown of Halloween, the first film. Uh, we might do a, like, I really want to do a breakdown of Halloween 3 just because, you know, it's the one that is different and is, like, the ugly stepsister of the, the film franchise just because it's different. Man, if you want to do it, let me know. I'll watch it, and I'll be right here three feet from you, and you can tell me all about it. I'd be more than happy to hear it, and I'm sure our listener, listeners would be, too. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun one. I, I at least I think so. But uh, all in all, you say I, I know you said that it's not a great film, but do you have does this give you a little bit more uh appreciation yeah. for it? It does. Yeah. And like like I'm sure every movie going in, well, no, every movie coming out of our talks here, I'm sure I'll have some sort of more appreciation I, I for. I did it. like your reaction to the whole um Myers killing the dog. Oh, that was like, so God, cool. that fucking scene is awful. And then all of a sudden I tell you, and you're just like, oh, okay. No, that was fantastic. Yeah. And that's the kind of shit I want to do with this podcast is like shine light on like those little scenes that kind of give people a bigger like appreciation to it. Yeah. I mean, I still think the whole movie as a whole is, is weird. Like, I'm just kind of like, eh. it is a very dated film. I understand where it's coming from, I understand what took place during it. I'm just like, and it's I al- feel like, and it's also because you probably you're not a big slasher fan. Yeah, it could probably be. doesn't help. But I, I mean, I really try to go into these movies with an open mind. I just I don't know. I feel like there's something about it, some things about it, uh, by chance that could have been better. Yeah, m- much better executed. And you're like me too, where we prefer monster movies over anything. Give oh, me yeah. a nice fucking brutal monster, oh, yeah. and I'm just like super happy. Oh yeah, I mean, if Michael Myers was an interdimensional dragon that you know had treasure underneath the house, much cooler, much much cooler. Yeah. <laughs> um, and with that, if you would like to follow us on social media, Matt, would you like to let them know where they can find us? Sure. You got the Facebook <laughs> with the Dissector Scott. You got Instagram, the Facebook 
with the Dissectors Cut. You have the Twitter at <laughs> TDC Pod Official. And you have our email if you want to, I don't know, tell us uh, a movie to watch or you know, possibly check out maybe yeah. one we've never even seen or heard of. Yeah, send us movie recommendations or even send us like your little like what maybe a movie that we talk about means to you. Or if you have a story like that has to do with that movie, oh, yeah. like Matt's the uh, oh mother in law. Yeah, that's the word I was trying there to think of, and I was just like, "What is she?" Yeah, if <laughs> if if you want to message us, you know, at the Dissectors Cut Podcast at gmail dot com, and be like, "Yo, my dad is Nick Castle or something," and tell us about it. I mean, do it, man. Yeah, that'd be do fucking it. rad. Fuck yeah, it would be. Or if you have, if you you know, if you have family or friends that worked on the set and have stories, let us know. We'd love to tell them. I don't Absolutely. know why I went in a fucking radio voice there for a second. That was kind of cool. I don't know. Only for like the last 10 seconds of this podcast. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. All right. With that, we will be signing off. And until next time, All I'm right. Josh. And I'm Matthew. And we'll see you on the other side. Goodbye.